Welcome to Sci-Fi Tech Talk, the podcast where we explore the technology of sci-fi. I'm Mike McPeak, and with me today is Julie Keel. Hello. And Jeff Sire. Hello, everyone. And today we're going to talk about the uh, comic book and, and movie Iron Man. So the, the synopsis of the story is Tony Stark is a complete playboy who has, uh, also happens to be an engineering genius. While in Afghanistan demonstrating a new missile, he's captured and wounded. His captors want him to assemble a missile for them, but instead he creates an armored suit and means to prevent his death from the shrapnel left in his chest by the attack. He uses the armored suit to escape. Back in the U.S., he announces his company <clears throat> will cease making weapons and begin work on un- uh, updated armored suit, only to find out that Obadiah Stane, his second-in-command at Stark Industries, has been selling Stark weapons to the insurgents. He uses his new suit to return to Afghanistan to destroy the arms and then stops Stane from misusing his research. Yeah, you know, Iron Man, this is sci-fi tech talk, and, and, you know, you could argue that this is comic book stuff, but, man, there's enough science fiction. In it. I mean, you have a hard time. Where does comic books fit between science fiction and fantasy? And Anyway, there's enough tech in here. I thought it would be a good one to talk about anyway because there's certainly plenty of tech. Well, and you know, me growing up, I mean, I grew up reading a lot of uh, the comic books. I mean, my first one I ever read was Spider-Man, but then I moved on to Iron Man and and some of those others. And you know, so and you know, this this along with the other stuff that I that I've read did feed into my love for science fiction. So for me, I don't have a problem with you know calling this science fiction, you know, a graphic novel if you don't like the word comic book. Um, science fiction, though. Yeah, I, I don't know what the boundaries are there because to me, it's it is certainly science fiction. You know, it is science and it is fiction, and therefore it's science fiction. But I'm sure somebody and, and we talked about like Arthur C. Clarke being a hard science fiction writer. This may not fit into that, but it's you know I don't know. I, th- I think only picky people would worry about it, but it does. It did seem kind of odd as we were putting it together with all the things we talked about, and all of a sudden there's like Iron Man. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh well. But that being said, there's plenty of stuff to talk about. Oh yeah, there's plenty of tech there. Um, you know, I just kind of <clears throat> wanted to throw out there what uh, Stan Lee, the guy who created uh, Iron Man, kind of what his motivation was when he drew the comic book. Uh, he said, I think I gave myself a dare. It was the height of the Cold War. The readers, the, the young readers, if there was one thing they, ha- uh, they hated, it was war. It was the military. So I got a hero who represented to the hundredth degree. He was a weapons manufacturer. He was providing weapons for the Army. He was rich. He was an industrialist. I thought it would be, be fun to take that kind of character that nobody would like, none of our readers would like, and shove him down their throats and make him like him. And he became very popular. You know, and that's interesting, too, because uh, Robert Downey Jr., of course, plays Iron Man. And he's got kind of a uh, checkered past, I suppose you could say. Well, and he, just, he just has that snark going on about well, him, too. He has the attitude to pull off. He, this, this is his role. I mean, there, occasionally you find actors that just, they play a role and it, it's just them, you know, Um and and <laughs> everything goes back to Trek. Wow, we're getting to that pretty early tonight. People who get um, um, cast in Star Trek may or may not have that happen, but 
because they're in Star Trek, they get defined by their roles. You know, Leonard Nimoy would be a great example where he didn't want to be known as Spock for the rest of his life, but he wound up being that way anyway. Um, Tony or Robert Downey Jr. Um, just, you know, in real life embodies Tony Stark. You know, and the other actor I can think of where that happens is Johnny Depp. Um, as uh, Jack Sparrow in Pirates of the Caribbean, he has said as much that, you know, he just, he loves that role. It suits him well. He he doesn't, it just, it fits. And so when you just made that, I uh, was reading that um, paragraph, um, the actor in this case, I think, you know, a character that nobody would like, nobody would like, but eventually you wind up liking him because of that snark, as you called it. And so it really... It's it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I think a little difference between Johnny Depp and uh, Jack Sparrow and Robert Downey Jr. in that their personal lives, like Robert Downey Jr.'s personal life, has a lot of parallels with Tony Stark. Yes. Yeah, you know he he plays that role very well, and he uh, he's obviously very comfortable in it and everything. But uh, Robert Downey Jr. has been the maybe not billionaire, but the millionaire bad boy playboy with an alcohol problem right and even in some of the later comics they gave tony stark a drinking problem that he had to overcome so you know there's another parallel right there yeah it's 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 very much it's not quite like autobiographical or anything but um it's it's real easy to accept it and it's it's as because it's just so it's as an actor, it's just got to be an easy role to play, and you could tell he's having fun. I mean, you, you literally could tell that he's having fun with the role, um, because it's kind of like his own life, just a little more, you know, fictional. Well, it might actually be therapeutic for him because this is a role where he can do the swag or he can do all this stuff, and maybe it's just an outlet for some of the stuff that you know he has to try to contain in his own life. But on the screen, he can just you know basically let it all hang out and be the person he wants to be and get paid for it. Well, and I have no idea whether Robert Downey Jr. is a tech gadget engineer freak like Tony Stark is. But he certainly, you know, seems to to fall into that pretty well because in Iron Man, Tony Stark, um, you know, he is kind of the, uh, uh, I was going to say private scientist, private sector scientist maybe. You know, you think of of scientists and uh, science fiction and a lot of time, you know, rocket science comes to mind and and that's always, you know, like, well, at least to this point and, um, has been almost... Uh, uh, military uh, but um, obviously Robert or Tony Stark is not a military even though he might sell to the military but he's got all those skills he's got all those that knowledge and that ability to to make things Uh, he's kind of a MacGyver a little bit too well yeah and the story of Tony Stark was that uh, he was at 15 he was a MIT graduate um and so yeah really smart and good in uh was it mathematic mathematics and um um not can't find it, but he you know really good in two different uh, uh areas of study and was a genius graduated early and so yeah he's one of the you know these super smart people that things just come easy to him right 
Which is kind of neat. And, you know, the one thing, speaking of MacGyver, too, one thing I like about Iron Man, as far as tech goes, too, um, at the beginning of the movie, he gets, his convoy gets hit, he gets a chest full of shrapnel, people get killed, he wakes up in a cave with not a lot of resources, and and truly has to MacGyver his way out of the situation. Um, and it, it, it just kind of brings tech back to the idea that it's not magic. It is engineering. You can build stuff out of rocks. I mean, almost everything truly is built out of rocks. Um, and, and, you know, and kind of, I suppose you could call it empowering. Um, the idea that, you know, you don't need all the equipment and fan I mean and gosh knows Tony Stark has all the money in the world but in the cave in Afghanistan he didn't have access to it it would have done him no good so you know you're basically getting by on your wits at that point and that's uh, um, an interesting message too I guess different origin stories they all seem to share that that same common like the original one he's it's the same thing he's in vietnam the vietnam war they're all they take place in a war zone he's captured by the quote enemy he they keep him captive and just through his wits and the what like you said the the macgyver sort of uh uh attitude he takes what's lying around and he builds his first suit of armor from scratch with that in order to escape, and then get that gives him the idea to begin building the full-on uh, suits that come later. The original one is Vietnam, and then when they rebooted it, I think first Gulf War, and then most recently Afghanistan. There might be even more times they've rebooted, but I, I know those three have been um, the different origin origin stories they've given for them. Right. Yeah, it's um, and of course the military to begin with has a fair amount of tech, you know, that just because it's the military, and then you go and add, you know, a Tony Stark into the mix, and you've got all kinds of possibilities, which is what they're playing off of. That's what the story's all about, basically. Ah, oh, the tech. Well, even in the in the case of Afghanistan, he was already building a suit. Um, well, and at that point, I mean, he first of all, he had to do it because yeah, when he was injured in the convoy, there was that shrapnel surrounding his heart. So his first priority was to build a device to keep the shrapnel away from his heart so it wouldn't kill him. And then from there, yeah, then he started to build his suit, um, and, you know, not letting on to the uh, his captors what he was doing at the time. Which is a whole other <laughs> skill set in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, being deceptive, which you know is kind of helpful for a businessman once in a while. Yep. The list of different suits. There's about thirty different suits that he's constructed in the comics over the years. I think in the uh, in the movie had uh, versions, but uh, yeah, like he has. There's all different kinds. As the Hulkbuster armor, Thor bust, uh, space armor, heavy gravity armor. I know in I think Civil War, he has nano armor. That, like the armor isn't plates. It's like a, like a um, it's like nanobots. So. 
Yeah, and, you know, the different suits, you know, what is the fascination with these suits? We talked about that with Starship Troopers, and it's going to come up again next week, I think, when we talk about Forever War. Um, but we do, do have this fascination with these suits where we can be um, independent and self-sufficient, I guess, and... Well, even invulnerability, because, you know, a suit to protect you against bullets or whatever, and so you can walk in the battle and, you know, become a a better warrior. I think that just kind of feeds into it, too, that uh, this feeling of strength and power and, and, uh, like I say, invulnerability. Yeah, which, you know, and playing into the comic book um, market, I guess, you know, traditionally, although it's bogus, People would say it's uh, you know geared towards teenage boys who, by definition, think they're invulnerable. So um, the idea of having a suit that would make that happen is just you know feeding right into that. So it makes well, a lot of sense. Well, let's just not overlook the fact that it just looks cool. Yeah, well, no kidding. Hey, I'll take one. Um, well, especially that red and gold number. I mean, you know that that really looks hot. No kidding. I have to admit the the suit in the movie is just. From a design standpoint, you know, from the the engineering and the the of it, it's just bloody awesome. <laughs> it's just cool. Speaking of design, too, uh, tech wise, um, Tony's got one hell of a little what I'd call a cargo bay where he spends a lot of his time. It's his lab. Uh, he's got a bunch of classic cars down there and and. Uh, um, vertical wall transparent screens you know all the things you see in movies like this as far as the future of computing where you're you're using your connect to you know move stuff across from from one screen or another it's the the portrayal of him interacting with holograms and these touch based or just motion based screens is fascinating to me um, because many times um, science fiction stuff like this is um, somewhat at the uh, leading edge of current technology, but then it also goes a little beyond, and and then current and then people make that happen. They see it and they want it, and somebody out there smarter than me builds it, and makes it reality. Um, so I'm like I say I'm loving watching as he's working and he's he's doing this 3D modeling of you know holograms and stuff and yeah. Well, and you know for somebody like him, he just that the character that he plays strikes me as a guy that has these ideas trapped in his head and he's trying to get them out and just to have a 3D thing where you can take your hands and sketch it out and and you know plan it and you know just. And, and take what you see in your head and put it out there in front of you, that just kind of seems like the thing that would work really well for him. You know, and and uh, got a background in education, and there's, you know, three types of learners, visual, auditory, and, and kinesthetic. And for those people who need to do it as opposed to look at it or hear about it, his his little lab is, like, perfect. I mean, this this lab is set up for... Um, you know the distracted student. It, it's all hands-on. It's all think it, make it. You know, and then think it's it. The kind yeah, of that I would like to to play around in because that that is the way I think. I want to be able to take things and and there's been more than a few times you know in my job or whatever that I'll just be 
let's take this and this and put it together and give me a little duct tape, a little bailing wire, and you know, and let's you know, and just build something from scratch. And to have a high tech uh, workroom like that, I mean, I would just be happy. Well, and of course, all the money to go with it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that the the suit alone, um, one of the issues it raises is you've got you've got him going to the edge of space essentially in the movie, and so it literally becomes darn near a spacesuit, which even you know on the surface of the Earth, you know, standing on the ground, has some value too. Um, it really becomes a impenetrable, like you know, a, a shell, a little that can adapt to. I mean, at, at one point he's he's uh, icing over. I think in the movies they just kind of tend to uh, they stay away from the multiple sh- suits. Like he seems to always just wear whatever is the best suit at the time, and he just wears that all the time. Right. Where in the comic books he really has multiple suits for different times like he has uh, if he's going underwater he's going to put on one suit if he has to go out into space he's going to switch to this other suit you know if you know like the they have the whole thing where uh in the world war hulk thing where hulk's coming back and he's going and he's mad so he builds a suit of armor just to specifically deal with hulk so interesting yeah, in the movies, the suits just seem to be he would he would make upgrades, so he's always using the the newest suit. But yeah, it wasn't it didn't seem to be specialized in any way. Yeah, like it, and it seems like the other suits are just there almost as uh, museum pieces now, because uh, right. he's just using the one specific newest suit. It's kind of like prototypes, kind of like your junk drawer of cell phones, <laughs> you know. <laughs> or my room of computers. Yeah. And look back in history at them. Why is it we all have that? Everybody has that junk drawer with two or three old cell phones. And like, are we trying to convince ourselves that? Oh yeah, I'm going to use that again. Like, I don't, I, I don't know why. You know, why do I keep it? <laughs> I. Uh, it's actually been identified as a. a national problem because like you said we all have these closets full of old electronic gear frankly i don't i dumped all of mine about two months ago so i'm very proud to say i have no spare cell phones in the house Woo-hoo. but anyway that's a whole nother thing but one of the things that that happens in um iron man 2 is that occasionally tony stark gets caught out without his armor and um the idea that you know, in the end, it comes down to his cleverness, I suppose you could say, uh, as to how well he fares against opponents. Um, is kind of a, a, a neat twist to the whole technology story as well. You know, as much as we depend upon it, we kind of depend on ourselves even more. I think now, uh, at least in the comics, I don't think he's ever without his armor. Like, he's got... He's done something where his, his armor is actually stored in his side of his body or inside of his bones or something now. Hmm. I'm just thinking there were times when, when he was damaged. I mean, the, the suit got damaged enough that it was... At some point, reading through uh, the synopsis, because I haven't read all the Iron Man stories, there was something about the, they had hollowed out his bones and put some armor in there. and um, Yeah, it sounded like they kind of internalized um, a lot of stuff. I think 
Autobot stuff that when he and it, it has some it's coordinated he's he, he he uses it with his mind, so he like kind of just said, "I want to have the armor on," and I don't know how, but the armor comes out of these recesses in his bones. The nanobots come out and then form the shell around. Weird. <laughs> well, you know, comic books have always been, uh, you know, I guess that's why I liked them because they didn't have to necessarily follow the realm of reality not that all science fiction did but they could get really kind of out there and just kind of really play with things as long as they didn't go and screw it up too bad you'd just let them play and see what happens well and comic books are really fluid too i mean they're science fiction universes all have their own rules and um they need to you know, keep to those rules. Like in Star Trek, you've got the Prime Directive, and in Battlestar Galactica, you've got the Cylons and the 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 Final Five or whatever it was. And and you know, you you couldn't you couldn't um, violate the rules that the authors, the creators had set for that universe. Comic books, um, like Jeff was saying, you know, first it's Vietnam, and then it's the Gulf War, and now it's Afghanistan. It seems like they go back and recreate themselves all the time and change the rules. I mean, Superman's an example where, you know, his origin story has changed I don't know how many times. And um, and somehow that's okay. I mean, well, you know, people get upset about it, but it, it still happens. I mean, it's a almost a, a time-honored tradition in the comic book world where... You know, if it's getting boring or it's getting difficult to write new stories, hey, we'll just go back and start over again. Whose origin story did you say had changed so many times? Superman's, hasn't it? No. Not the origin of it. Not the origin. That's one of the big differences between DC Comics and, and Marvel. In Marvel, nobody really ever ages. They're always kind of trapped. Like Peter Parker is still, like, I guess I guess now in the comic books, he's that recently out of college guy. Like he's He's been that high school slash college student since the 60s where like in DC those heroes get older and you have these stories where you have old broken down Batman and then you know old Superman and stuff like that but yeah most mostly in Marvel comics they don't age and the and in order to do that Marvel does change origin stories but uh but DC for the most part their origin stories are pretty solid. They don't change much. Like Batman was, you know, his parents were gunned down behind the theater and, and he, and he saw it and, and Superman was, you know, you know, they might move it around as to where Smallville was or like little details, but it's always, you know, in Kansas, uh, you know, whenever the year is, but like, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's a lot more, solid than than most of the marvel origin stories yeah you're right that was a bad example there are well because superman's always got to come from krypton Kryptonite, yeah yeah and he's raised by you know adopted by a family so yeah you're right that was a bad example i think uh like the, the movie that the movie reboot that's coming this summer um i think that's a little bit different because um they're gonna have to sort of tweak that to go to the to the movies um but even that i think it's going to be pretty much the same like he's going to be out somewhere in kansas and uh you know there'll be 
you know, he, he's going to grow up on the farm and all that stuff. So they're just going to change the year, sort of. Cool. Yeah, it's, um, again, that whole idea of, you know, comic books, where do they fit under the science fiction fantasy boundaries? You have books, you have TV, you have movies, you have yep. comic books. Yep. No, and and it's, again, I, I don't have a problem with it because I think, you know, some of the stuff we've been talking about obviously puts them in the realm of science and fiction. I think they do, the comic books play a little looser with the science than most, though. You know, I'm, Spider-Man's a great example. Um, well, yeah, but, you know, the comic books defense a little bit. Uh, the Marvel comics were some of the first ones to introduce characters that actually had like real world problems they had you know a certain amount of angst they were conflicted why am i doing this right. um they actually had you know internal conflicts mhm mhm uh, they're not quite this this way now but they come from a history of not really having any or at least very little continuity because they were intended to be something where you read through a couple of times maybe keep it beside your bed read it a few more times and then throw it away Right, that was kind of the origin of comic book. That's why older cl- comic books are so cl- collectible because so few people collected them. Right, because mm-hmm. they're you know, old comic books from the '60s are pretty rare. But uh, whereas books and TV shows, they tended to have more continuity than than comic books, and it's really like comic book continuity is really a a much more modern thing than it is like. Go back to the sixties. Like they they would just change stuff all the time. Oh god! Now that's an interesting take on technology, right there. Back when we had paper, you know, permanent, um, what everybody calls the permanent medium of paper, people were treating comic books as disposable. Now that we have electronic versions of them and other means to track them electronically, suddenly they become these permanent collections. Oh Look my! All three of us right now. I bet all three of us have, because I know I do, have a couple of Wikipedia pages open. Because as we're talking, we're referring back to the story, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, because it's it's right there, and it's going to be there like on the day that we, all the three of us die. Like it's still going to be up there in this form and tweaked with additional information, right? Well, I, I suspect it will not be in this form. I suspect it will be something more like Tony Stark's lab. With but at the, the same time, yeah. I bet it will be something that has migrated from Wikipedia. Absolutely. It'll be the same information, the same type of setup, just, you know, like from paper to, um, you know, the screen. Um, and Wikipedia is based on encyclopedias, you know, so... Uh, just a different um, tweaking of it, different incarnation. Ah, oh, yeah. Um, let's see what else was in the Mechanobots, the Transformers. Whatever, what are they called when you get those exoskeleton things going towards the end of the movie? Um, oh, the where Chitar- Obadiah. Yeah, what did you call it? The Chitari, like you're talking about the invading force in Iron Man or in the Avengers, or no? I'm thinking about in the in the movie the Iron Man when Obadiah creates his own suit of armor, oh, you know, and it's that, way more like uh, a transformer than a suit of armor. Not War Machine. It, it was uh, it's a, it's, Ironmonger. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's actually really just on the edges of science fact. Um, I know that they've been working on 
some um, well everything from disabled people suits to help them you know stand you know uh, rather than being in a wheelchair all the time they can go into these suits that allow them to stand possibly even walk uh, I know um, the military was it the military is working on some that basically improve um, the power ratio you know rather than lifting a hundred pounds with one hand you can suddenly lift 600 um, yeah those are going to be kind of like what you might consider walking cranes or uh, walking forklifts that you get inside the suit yeah that boosts you control the suit but you can use it to pick up heavy boxes and lift things and move things around just to kind of multiply the yeah, you're playing with the laws of physics there. I mean, they're simple laws of physics. They're the basic laws of physics. But, you know, the, the, imagine the difference between being in a suit, in a warehouse even, just in a warehouse. You know, imagine the, the closing scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark. You're in a warehouse with all those boxes. And rather than having to bring in a bobcat to move them around, you could just walk over in your suit, grab a handle on it, and lift it from from one end to the other. You'd be able to work in much tighter spaces. You'd be able to, um, you know, just maneuver better. Okay, um, another piece of tech <laughs> is the weapons that were shown in the movies or in the comic books as well, in, in story. You have some of the usual things like missiles. Um, what else was in there that... What? Well, he's got his repulsors in, built yeah. into the suit, in the palms of the suit. Right, there you go. And uh, he has... I, I don't think it's exactly the same, that the energy blast thing out of his chest... And uh, then, like he has the like the mini missiles, right? I think it. This isn't really a weapon, but I, um, I think it's kind of neat when he has the. Uh, uh, I don't know if they're disposable or what what they are, but like the things that just fall off, like in the Avengers where he flies up through, he has like the boosters to get through that hole, and then once he gets through it, you can see those two clips. The, the I don't know what they are, rocket packs or whatever they are, but they just disengage and then they just fall off. And in the uh, second, I think it's the second Iron Man movie, where he does that twirling thing where he just, you know, takes out, like, everything at, at the same time. And, that, and then you can see, like, there's little modules that just kind of, like, eject out of his arm because they're, you know, I don't know if they're energy, like, batteries or whatever, and they're just uh, depleted. In the, in the comic books, does he have a suit for... Fighting, you know, a weapons-based suit versus a flying-based suit versus a... Um, is, or do all well, of his suits have weapons? I think all of his suits have, have some weapons. Some have a lot more. Um, and some are like... Some of the suits are, are tougher. Like the, the Hulkbuster suit is just like super, super tough to deal with, you know, being punched by the Hulk. Um I know, like when he designed the suit of armor that became uh, Rhodey's, the uh, the war machine armor. Part of the the deal with that is it it's got humongous cannons like built into the shoulders and stuff like that. Yeah, it gives shoulder pads a whole new. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I think the, uh, the military robots, yeah, they had weapons built into them. As far as Iron Man goes, yeah, it kind of depends upon the, the situation. Um, 
I think he also, I can't remember if he used it in the movie or not, but a, a defensive energy shield, which would protect him from certain blasts. Here's the, this is, this is the Wikipedia thing for the Hulkbuster armor Mark II. So it was used in a World War Hulk event. The new armor was built as a large exoskeletal shell, which fits around his normal armor. So this is like a set of armor on top of his rocket-boosted gauntlets capable of punching the Hulk back several miles. Oofta. Well, it's bad when you have to have armor for your armor. But yeah, when you're dealing with the Hulk, who is like almost, well, I think he is invincible. Well, yeah, and the difference between, you know, the Hulk and a small little suit of armor that was meant to do other things. You know, part of the part of the thing of being a suit is that you have to be flexible and agile in it. Um as, you know, so yeah, something that's going to be flexible and agile isn't going to be really brutally impenetrable. So, I would think it could use some reinforcement. So, anything else we can think of as far as tech goes in in the Iron Man stories? No, uh, I th- just wanted to look something up here. Uh, in if you go to the Marvel Comics website, uh, let's see if I can find it really fast here. They grade all of their uh, heroes and villains to on a scale. Oh, I found it. They, so they have, for every hero or villain, they grade them on a scale for intelligence, strength, speed, durability, energy production, projection, and fighting skills. And they have f- fan votes and then their official ratings for them. So for Iron Man, he's maxed out in intelligence, strength, speed, <laughs> durability, energy projection, and he's just, the only thing that he's down one, oh, that's fan votes, sorry. He's down one on fighting skills. And their official things for him was he scores a 6 out of 7 for intelligence, strength, durability, and energy projection. Uh, a 5 on speed, and his fighting skills are a 3. I thought of this because I've seen the Hulk, and the, the Hulk for strength, he's a 7. And there's a annotation that says that effectively the Hulk's strength can't be measured because his strength is a factor of how angry he is, and there. Uh, so essentially, the Hulk has no top end to his strength. Right. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. If, you know, well, out of all those things, I think you know if you had to pick what he's best at. Intelligence, I think, would be his strongest suit because almost all of the rest of it comes from that. Well, he's one of the top guys in uh, in the Marvel universe. He's part of the Illuminati group, mm-hmm. which is Professor Xavier, Doctor Strange, uh, Namor, uh, Black Bolt. I think there's a couple more, but they're more or less this secret group of the smartest guys in the whole. And they, they, they seem to get together. They make kind of behind-the-scenes decisions, and you know, and kind of work to kind of guide things in the Marvel universe. So he's definitely considered in the Marvel world like one of the top-tier guys and one of the smartest of them all, right? Right. 
Yeah, because because all of the rest of the I mean, all of his armor, his fighting skills, his even his agility, which you know it's somewhat physical, but um, you, you know comes from intelligence. So, yeah, the idea. I mean, the the technology just kind of amplifies that, I guess, especially with regards to Tony Stark. I think it's it just amplifies those um, characteristics that he has naturally. Well, yeah, I think we pretty much, like I say, we pretty much covered everything, I think, there when it comes to Iron Man. So um, I think, you know, we'll wrap this up now. So, um, yeah, this wraps up this episode of Sci-Fi Tech Talk. You can check us out at scifitechtalk.com or follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Tech Talk. If you have any ideas or comments, please send them to sci-fi tech talk at gmail.com. And reviews on iTunes are always welcome. Julie, where can people find you in cyberspace? I can be found on Twitter almost all the time <laughs> at Julie Keel, J-U-L-I-E-K-U-E-H-L. And I have a page where I have links to other podcast blogs and whatever else I've got going on at about.me slash Julie Keel. And Jeff, what, uh, where can people find out about you? People can follow me on Twitter at Bronco Sire, S-Y-E-R. And uh, people can follow me on Twitter at DSC Chipman, or I have an about.me page at about.me slash Mike McPeak. That's M-C-P-E-E-K. And that's it for this show, and we'll see you in the future.